Yes, order our steps in your word. Gracious God, indeed, we are here with you. We ask that you break through those places where we have, let, have yet to let you in. Order us, move us, guide us in your word that we can be true to the calling for which you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I love that song. I love that song because if we are a people who are ordering our steps in the word, we are a people in motion, right? We are people that are listening to the word and, and making it real for us and living for us. We're not boxing God in or boxing people in. For example, and you'll hear a little bit more about during making ministry happen, it means we have to quit uh, scapegoating God. We have to quit stereotyping God and the Holy Spirit. We have to quit stereotyping each other, right? Keep locking each other in. For example, if you was to know that Leslie and I... Uh, come from the country, and we, you know, and we go and visit uh, her mom last Sunday in the country, and if you was to see this picture, you would not want to say, I know you're a redneck if, right? <laughs> no, we're not going to box each other in. We're a moving people. <laughs> That's my babies. <laughs> uh, the first verse of the Gospel of John says that Jesus is the Word. It says that Jesus came and all life came through the Word. And the light goes into the darkness and the darkness will not overcome it. The Word is in us. We are to be a people of the word. Now our worship has its place and its purpose. But it should not stop here. It's not the end or be all of our faith. We, if we are to be a people of light and love, that means we are a people in motion. We are both the church that gathers and the church that is scattered. And I promise you, I didn't get that from a Waffle House menu. <laughs> scattered, smothered, you know you're a redneck. If I'm telling you. <laughs> We are going to go into this word because I believe it is calling us and challenging us to be both a people gathered, gathered and of the world. Our first scripture reading today comes from Acts chapter 11. Now, if you were here last week, you may be thinking you have deja vu or that maybe we just miswrote the, the title here, but actually not. There are two passages in scripture that repeat the same words. Right here in chapter 11, Peter is retelling and virtually word for word, the vision he received before he went and preached to the Gentiles. So we know about this large sheet coming from heaven filled with uh, four-footed reptiles and birds and, and all these things that basically were the food that faithful Jews could not eat. And we heard the voice from heaven. We know of this voice that says, do not call clean what I have, do not call profane what I have called clean. So we know this story. But what changes in this telling in chapter 11, is the confrontation with the apostles and the believers. Peter returns to Jerusalem after preaching to the Gentiles, and he's been called before them to explain. You've got some splaining to do. Now, the apostles and the believers who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also accepted the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him, saying, 
Why did you go to the uncircumcised and eat with them? So they have heard that the Gentiles had accepted the word of God, but instead of celebrating with them that the Gentiles had repented or had turned back towards God, they're consumed with this question, and why did you eat with them, Peter? It seems like they have totally missed the point here. But instead of debating with them or going through scripture or trying to explain or giving theological debate, instead of going through the clobber passages and trying to come up with a reason of thought, Peter simply tells them a story, a story that we have happened to hear already about this vision. Peter begins to tell them the story that there was a move of God. And he asked them, and who am I that would hinder God? He tells them the story that God was in motion. This vision from Peter clearly is crucial to the development of the early church, so much that we hear it twice, and we will see that it comes up again in, in the early founding of the church. The question the church is faced with at its very foundation, the question hanging in the balance, would Gentiles have a place at God's table? Here Peter, the rock upon which Jesus built the church, says it plain, the church is to be a place that all seekers can experience life and love of God. Our gatherings, therefore, should be places that open up spaces for God to dwell in us and among us, which also means that our gathering places that the church learned very early would be sometimes places of confusion, that they would be places where our understanding of the holy, our understanding of sacred, our understanding of God would expand. This is what the early church was being formed about and told about very early. And as I said, it's so important that they have to go through it again. You would think here that they would get it, but once again, it comes up for them. You see, there's a guy named Saul out there, and right before this vision that Peter has in the chapter before it, we see that Saul has also a voice that comes from heaven. Saul is a very devout Jew, and, and he's out persecuting the church. And he hears this voice, why are you persecuting me? And he pursues this and he comes to understand that he's to move from being persecutor to being a missionary for Gentiles. So he has this conversion experience and God changes his name to Paul. Peter has this, this vision and has to explain it again to, to the apostles. But then meanwhile, Paul is going out and he is preaching and teaching that all who seek God can turn towards God and have this new life. And now it's starting to play itself out. Now it's starting to play itself out, and the church is faced once again with another question. So if we go to Acts chapter 15, we see that they are grappling with something. 15, 1 and 2 says, Then certain individuals came down from Judea, and they were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. So they are now grappling with this. Now, we may look at that and go, that is crazy. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved. <laughs> what were they thinking? <laughs> oh, oh! 
I mean, it really does sound crazy to us now. I mean, we look at that and we go, that's a crazy question, but that's not exactly what they were grappling with. They're grappling with something that we still continue to grapple with today. They're not necessarily saying that you have to be saved to do that. They're saying it's a result of your salvation. And that we understand. We understand that once we... Uh, repent or turn towards God, once God is open and has taken residence in our heart, people should be able to see something different within us. There should be new life, a change, a transformation that takes place. What the church is grappling with here is what does that look like? What will that look like to be one of the followers of the way, to be a disciple of Jesus? What will it look like? That's an honest and fair question that they're asking, and it's one Clearly, we continue to ask today. Peter comes again and reminds them. I'm still in chapter 15 of Acts. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, a third time, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as God did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, God has made no distinction from them between us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples, these Gentile disciples, a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of God, just as they will. What a powerful passage. Once again, Peter is saying, we're missing the point. God is moving here. Don't you see it? Can't you experience it? Don't you see the movement of God in them? Who are we to say what that's going to look like? Peter is challenging us to rely on our religious experience or to rely on the movement of God among us and around us instead of always seeing the, the written word or needing to rely on that. He's asking us to instead rely on a relationship to fly without a net. But James does comfort us. James stands up and continues this way. After they finished speaking, James replied, listen to me. Simon Peter has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name, for God's name. This agrees with the words of the prophet as it is written. After this, I will return and I will re rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen and from its ruins I will rebuild it. I will set it up so that all other people may seek God even the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says God who has been making these things known for long ago. And so James, after quoting the prophet, says, Therefore I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. What a powerful message for us as a congregation. Last week we were so blessed to have Reverend Hawks here. And he cast a vision for us to be a church. A church that, of the future a place where we recognize God's inclusivity, where we create cultures of inclusivity, cultures of service and generosity, cultures of justice, justice which is love and action. 
And as I was looking at this word, I'm like, why are you, what are we, <laughs> what's, what's to be gathered here? And God so gently said to me, but my people that I'm calling, that I'm living in their heart, still are not trusting that I'm in them. Church, God is trying to crack open into your heart and say, I am enough. You need no other validation to know that you're loved. Reverend Hawks mentioned to us that about depression and addiction and all these things that, that so many in our community grapple with. And, and we as a people grapple with that because we have yet to internalize. We have yet to shed the skin of outcast and wounded and take on our new name with confidence. God is trying to change your name and say, you have me in you. You are of the divine. You are holy. Jesus, in our next scripture, says it's so plain. It says that Judas had gone out and Jesus is gathered there with some disciples and, and he has one last chance to say something very precious to them. And it's going to be his last farewell speech. And um, so he gathers them around and he doesn't use words like teacher and student. He, he uses something much more intimate than that. He, he calls them little children. Come here, little children. I have one last thing to say to you. I'm about to go somewhere, but you can't go. And I need you to hear something. As a hospital chaplain years ago, I saw these played out several times. Many of us have had experiences just like this where, where someone who knew they were going to leave wanted to leave us with, with a word. When I was 14 years old, my father was diagnosed with colon cancer. And he was such um, young in his faith. As a family, we were. And we had gathered around. There was a couple that had, uh, from, the, from faith that had come and gathered themselves around my parents. And they just, we rallied as a family. We, we rallied. We were so, um, like I said, young in our faith. And we believed and we were praying for miracles and we wanted all of that. But then there, there did come a time where dad gathered us around the bed and my mother, my two brothers and my sister and I and gathered us around. And so gently he said, he said, it is time for us to release ourselves to the mystery of God's love. I don't know what's going to happen, but what I know is God loves us. And then one by one, he went around that bed and he looked us in the eyes and he had a gift for each one of us. And to me, a little 14-year-old, he looked at me and he said, Oh, Janice, I love you. And you can do anything you set your mind to. You may even be the first woman president. <laughs> oh, Dad. <laughs> uh, such a wonderful time. Such a wonderful blessing. I didn't get it then. I really didn't understand the power of that blessing. But I've remembered it since. It was words that give me life. God loves me. I am loved. And I am blessed. And all things are possible. Jesus gathers them around. Gathers this, little, gathers this little band of followers and he says, Little children, I love you. And they will know that you are mine if you love if you love one another and you're loving this world, from the inside out, we're to take ownership of this 
and participate in this grand story. That means ordering our steps in the word, but seeing it as a living and breathing word. Not a rule book, but a love story that comes alive for us and in us and through us. This is God's gift for you today as a people. We are to be a church that gathers and then moves out with our love into the world. I'm gonna read something to you. There was um, an autobiography. <laughs> I'm yeah, one of those books. It's called A Spiral Staircase, where Karen Armstrong, thank you. God, I am so Texan. I am so redneck. <laughs> Karen Armstrong notes that in most religious traditions, faith is not about belief, but about practice. Religion, Armstrong writes, is not about having to believe or accept certain difficult propositions. Instead, religion is about doing things that change you. This came home to her, especially when she wrote her first book on Islam. Muslims, she came to understand, are not expected to accept a complex creed. Instead, they are required to perform certain ritual actions, such as the Hajj pilgrimage and the fast of Ramadan. These are designed to change them. Muslims are to prostrate themselves in prayer before Mecca several times a day as an act of surrender. Muslims are commanded to give alms to the poor and the more vulnerable among them as a way of cultivating kind and generous spirit that makes them want to give graciously as God does. Armstrong says these repeated actions are intended to lead to personal transformation. The point is that this was not a belief system but a process. The religious life made people act in ways that were supposed to change them forever. The Christian religion, of course, has its own sets of ancient practices and rituals where we are learning this transformation from the inside out, where we gather and invite the holy here we watch God take residence in our very lives, and then we break bread and remember that grace is sufficient for us, and we are a redeemed people and a chosen people and a called people, and it's from this strength that we move from there and we become lovers of the world, lovers of God's people, which means we will love uh, people in all places. We will not see stereotypes. We will break through those barriers, and we will meet them where they are, just as God met us. We will be lovers of God people. And the question for us to answer is not what you believe, but what difference does it make that you believe? Does the world come nearer to the dream of God to draw all into God's embrace because of what you believe? That is our question. I want um, to ask Anthony. We, we heard such, and, and Cassandra too, to come pray over us. To have the, the CLM, the Creating a Life That Matters graduates come up here, we were able to reflect that it really is a process. We will come back in touch with the holy. The holy is in us. And then from that place, we'll go deeper in ourselves. This transformation is about <laughs> moi. And we will do that work. And from that place, from the gift of God's song within us, we'll live our passion for the world. We will become lovers of God's people and community. I want you to just let Cassandra, pray over you that God is calling you by a new name. We're going to shed our skin of outcast and wounded and become leaders in our community, leaders of faith, where people will look at us and see God's love in the world.
Join us. 